All right, we are in 2 Samuel, the uh, 17th chapter. And uh, we are reading how after David's sin, after his lust, lying, adultery, and murder, uh, his deal with Bathsheba, um, the good news was that he repented when confronted of it. But even still, God said, there's some consequences for what you've done. And it seems like pretty harsh consequences, but you have to understand something about God. And Jesus taught this to us. He said, to whom much is given, much is required. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, if God really blesses you. God really helps you succeed. You, you know, there's a, there's a bigger responsibility uh, as, as God helps you grow in your life and blesses your life. To whom much is given, much is required. Now, when God starts showing up, and speaking to you in audible voices and blessing you off the scale. Yeah, there's going to be some serious butt kicking if you mess up. Okay? Um, I think a lot of us could, uh, you know, God forbid, fall into the same trap that David had fallen into. And maybe not have the same consequences. Why? Because we're not at the same level. You have to understand, this is serious stuff. Remember Moses, Moses, face to face with God. I mean, this guy, and he couldn't get into the promised land just because he got mad one day and uh, hit a rock instead of talking to it. Why you're talking to rocks in the first place? It'll creep you anyway. But God told him, you know, go talk to the rock. Yeah, stupid rock, and he hits it. And the same miracle happens, by the way. All this water comes gushing out, and just because of that, he couldn't get into the promised land. You go, whoa! If that's how strict God is, we're all doomed, right? How many of you mess up and hit instead of us talking? And you know what I'm saying? I mean, we all got issues and stuff like that. Well, no, it's not going to be the end of the world for you. Why? Because, you know, God isn't showing up to you and talking. If God's showing up to you talking to you in person and you're sitting around, angels are flying around and, you know, he's writing on tablets and handing it to you. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be in some butt kicking. You better pay attention. But to whom much is given, much is required. And David has seriously blessed. God has given him favor off the charts, has anointed and blessed his life, speaking to him. Uh, and uh, given him great favor. And then, in the context of that, to sin like this. This isn't some new guy who just come to Jesus and after a year of coming to church, you know, slips up and messes up. No, 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 we're not, we're talking, this was really off the charts what he did. He knew better like you cannot believe. That's why the consequences for him are so much stronger. So that's why the nasty consequences. And as um, uh, the prophet had told David, you know, God has forgiven you, but you're going to have these consequences and uh, your home is going to be torn apart and there's going to be strife and division and your sexual sin that you did in private is going to be sinned against you in public. Uh, anyway, his son Absalom comes along. First of all, we, we, we heard about how Absalom's sister was raped by, by her stepbrother and everything's just a mess. And Absalom kills him and then Absalom eventually rebels against his father and gets the whole nation around him and has this big rebellion. And David has to flee from Jerusalem to save his life. Abs- Absalom comes in. Uh, and one of his first acts as the new king is he has sex with all of his dad's concubines. You know, I mean, this is hugely insulting. And he did it in front of the whole city. You know, and why? Again, it was a fulfillment of God said what you did in private. And now it's going to be publicly in front. You know, it's like, wow, heavy stuff here. So anyway, um, Ahithophel was uh, one of David's great uh, advisors. And, uh, you know, it's important who you have surrounding you, um, you know, public f- officials, pastors and stuff like that. Uh, they make decisions often, uh, certainly through the filter of their own experience and their own character. But who they surround themselves with is a big deal. You know, that's why a lot of times you hear howling about some of the people, some of these politicians have surrounded themselves with saying, what are you doing? You know, so well, it doesn't matter. It matters. OK, and the same with pastors. You know, who do I surround? I surround myself with some pretty. 
I think, solid men and women who uh, really minister and, and do the work of the church. Uh, but these are the people and the elders in our church who give me advice and, and filter back. It's an important thing. Ahithophel uh, basically became a traitor to David, goes over to Absalom's side. He's the one who advised him, now you've got to go have sex with all his concubines and really insult your father and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to pick it up now, chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Ahithophel says to Absalom, listen, this is what you've got to do. I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. Now remember, David now, has he's left the city. He's in weeping. He's crying as he goes. It's uh, devastating. He's smart enough to leave some key people back to kind of be spies for him and cover for him. We'll talk about that in just a second. But, uh, but he leaves. He's in shame. He's, he's heartbroken. He's desolate. Um, and Ahithophel says, man, tonight we send 12,000 men and just focus on David. We want to go get him. I would attack him. While he's weary and weak, I would strike him with terror and all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. Uh, The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. And this plan seemed good to uh, Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. And really, from a natural standpoint, this is great advice. The reason why Ahithophel was so highly sought off is he was extremely brilliant uh, in his advice, that's why David loved him and everybody had him around. And, uh, uh, you know, in the last verse of the previous chapter, they said, you know, Ahithophel's advice was almost like a word from God. It wasn't a word from God, but that, that's how highly they sought after it. Because he was quite brilliant. This, from a natural standpoint, is brilliant advice. Send 12,000 guys, just kill David. You get him, don't attack anybody else, don't go to war with the guys. Just Once the king is dead... And open up, encourage everybody to come back, unite the kingdom. Uh, Brilliant, brilliant advice. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, not likely he would have succeeded because God was with David. Okay. Uh, But from a natural standpoint, this is solid advice. But Absalom, verse 5, said, well, summon also Hushai, the archite, so we can hear what he has to say. Now, remember, Hushai, or however you say his name, was one of the guys David left behind. He said, stay here. I know you want to come with me. Stay back there and, 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 and be on my side. So when Absalom comes, he says, what are you doing here? I thought you were with my dad. He says, no, no, no. Fool you on your dad. I love you. You're great. He was basically lying to him, kissing his butt and trying to get in. And he did. He was in that inner circle now. But he was a spy for David. So after getting this advice from Ahithophel, he comes and says, well, go get uh, Hushai and uh, see what he has to say. So he comes in. And Absalom said, well, listen, Ahithophel has given this advice, blah, 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 blah. And he repeats it. He says, should we do what he says? If not, give us your opinion. Well, Hushai uh, then uh, replies to Absalom, "Um, the advice that Ahithophel has given you is not good at this time. Well, of course it was from a natural standpoint, but he's there to mess things up. Okay. He wants to turn the tide. So this is, this is a bad time for this. No, no, no. You, you need to do something. Don't do this now, which would have been the perfect time to strike at his weakest time. Uh, and then he gives really solid reasoning for not doing it. But even still, as solid as his reasoning is, in the natural, it would have been a smart thing to do. Anyway, so he starts giving him these reasons. Why not to attack right now? He says, look, you know your father and his men. They are fighters as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Well, this is true. 
I've talked to you about this before. Why would you take on David? David was a butt-kicking machine. I mean, whoever won against David? <laughs> Nobody. Everybody lost. You could be Goliath. This kid was a teenager. He could take down a monster and cut his head off. David, who could stop him? Nobody. And we're going to read a little bit later of some of the men that David surrounded himself. These men were, it wasn't that big of an army, but these men were unstoppable. This was a Super Bowl team each and every year, these cats. I mean, they, nobody could mess with these guys. So he starts pointing out, you know, these guys are really good fighters. You mess with them? Hochi mama. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He won't spend the night with the troops. Even now, I bet he's hidden in a cave or some other place. Well, he doesn't know that. See, the reason why it would have been really good advice because David was so heartbroken at this point. He probably wasn't thinking clearly. He probably was hanging around his troop. Da, 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 da. But he starts to back him up. So, no, 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 bad idea. David's a smart fighter. He knows he won't be by the troops. He's hiding somewhere in a cave. If he should attack your troops first. And remember, this is no girly man. This is no Richard Gere playing David. I mean, this, this is... This is, you know what I'm saying? This is Arnold Schwarzenegger playing David. I'll be back. You know what I'm saying? This guy, he is going, you don't mess with David. He says, if he attacks you first, then whoever hears about it will freak. And they'll say, there's been a slaughter among the troops that follow Absalom. And even the bravest soldier whose heart is like that of a lion will melt with fear. For all Israel knows your father is a fighter and that those with him are brave. Again, All his reasoning is dead on right with a healthy David. But he's covering him because David right now is not healthy. He's defeated. His heart is ripped out. He's confused. He's running for his life. His son has done this to him. I mean, he's, you know. So anyway, but his reasoning is right. Boy, you you know, David on a good day, you do not want to mess with this guy. So he says, if David turns around and he's smart and he attacks a bunch of you guys first and kills a bunch of guys, it'll spread through your army. They will freak. So he says, so listen, here's my advice to you. Let all Israel from Ban Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, be gathered to you, with you yourself leading them into battle. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found, and we will fall on him as dew settles on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city and we'll drag it down to the valley, not even a piece of it can also be found. Now you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. This is bad advice. You don't want him to do it. No, it was really great advice. Because he knows David. Give him time. He's at his weakest point. Run the way to go that night to go get him. He stalls for time. Comes up with some great reasoning. And he says, what you do, you don't send 12,000. You get all of his. You assemble the biggest army you can find. And then you go. And you attack David. And rip him to pieces. Well, this guy knows. You give David a little time, ain't nobody going to rip him to pieces. Okay, so he buys him critical time. And that's what's happening. Now, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, well, the advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than that of Ahithophel. Uh, Certainly his reasoning seemed good. Again, as you're looking at the scenario, the smartest move would have been what Ahithophel told him to do. Anyway, it says, so for the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. By the way, part of, <laughs> part of his advice, get this huge army and then you lead them into battle, which means you become vulnerable. Okay, so now he's, he's, he's an open target now. 
So he basically talks this guy into, you'll lead this great gigantic army, and hopefully you're going to get killed. He doesn't say that to him, but that's what he's thinking. Well, Hushai told Zadok and Abathar, the priests, also who had been sent back by David, and Ahithophel has advised Absalom and the elders of Israel to do such and such, but I've advised them to do so-and-so. Such and such and so-and-so. At least they're summarizing here. Some of this gets too long. Anyway, so now send a message immediately to tell David, do not spend the night at the fords in the desert. Cross over without fail, or the king and all the people with him will be swallowed up. Now let's keep going. Keep moving. I bought him time. Get the heck out of Dodge. Well, Jonathan, Jonathan and Ahimez were staying at Enrogel. A servant was to go and inform them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they could not risk being seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So the two of them quickly uh, left quickly and went to the house of a man in Bahurim or whatever. And he had a well in his courtyard and they climbed down, climbed down into it. Now so check it. This thing is like drama city. It's amazing because this is a historical record. But this whole deal has been like one of the most complicated. It's like a bunch of Hollywood guys sat down and wrote out this thing. So he, this whole thing works out. The spies got it working, buys him time. He sends uh, some spies to go tell David. Well, the king finds out, Absalom, the, the new king, finds out about it. And he sends guys after him. Stop those guys. So they can't tell David what we're up to. Well, these guys, they know they're coming after him. So what do they do? They get to this place and they climb into a well. And they're hiding down in this well. Well, this guy's wife took a covering and spread it over the top of the well and scattered grain over it. So it looked more like a table, basically. So no one knew anything about it. When Absalom's men came to the woman at the house, they said, where is Ahimez and Jonathan? And she said, you know, they crossed over the brook. You really need to go down there. I saw them going that way. And, uh, and then the men goes running after them, but they couldn't find them. Of course, they weren't there. They were in the well. So they returned to Jerusalem. So, you know, all the tension. Dun, 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 dun. They're up there. They can hear them. <laughs> Hanging out in the well. Oh, please don't tell them we're here. Please don't tell them we're here. Hoping nobody decides to go check under the cover, you know. And these guys quick turn and they take off and, and then they climb out of the well. So after the man had gone, the two climbed out of the well and went to inform King David. And they said to him, Set out and across the river at once. Ahithophel has advice to do such and such to you, but so and so said to do so and so. Anyway, the whole deal. So, so <laughs> I'm glad they're doing this because remember parts of it, it when we read earlier they would repeat everything over and over and over again like 30,000 times like ah! anyway give me the such and such and so and so I like this better so David and all the people with him set out and crossed the Jordan they got going well by daybreak now no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan so they all made it across again he was up against the Jordan he was tired he was emotionally a wreck if they'd have done what the other guy said in the natural They'd had a high percentage chance of getting David, killing him, and bring it all to an end. Well, when Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown, put his house in order, and then hanged himself. <laughs> it's like, Ahithophel, dude, relax a little bit, you know. He didn't listen to my advice, so he goes, hangs himself. If I give you advice, and you don't listen to me, I ain't hanging myself, I'll tell you right now. I say, y'all just do what you want to do. I'm, I'm going, I'm going, you know, to Bermuda, man. I ain't going to hang myself. So why did he hang himself? Because he knew he was extremely brilliant. He knew that what had happened was going to be a disaster. This guy was really, really sharp. And he knew that, 
You're taking this other guy's advice. You're going to try and give David time, even though you can gather the biggest army. You, can, you cannot defeat this man. And he knew what would happen to him as soon as David came back. Before any of this had been played out, Ahithophel knew what was going to happen. And he went and hanged himself. Wow. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. Well, David meant to, went to Mahanaim. And Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Well, Absalom had appointed uh, Amasa over the army in place of Joab. Joab was the general, uh, and his brother and another cat were, the, were in charge of David's army. So Amasa was now in charge with his new general in charge of Absalom's army. Amasa was the son of a man named Jether, an Israelite who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, the sister of... <laughs> I don't care. Moving on. The Israelites and Absalom camped uh, in the land of Gilead. I guess he was a mother of Joab, so he's basically this guy's a relative kind of, of, of Joab. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Machir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzoh, anyway, they brought a bunch of stuff. To David. And and fed them. I don't know why that's there. Who cares? I'm sure there must be a reason why that's there. I don't know. Maybe we'll read them later. But So anyway, chapter 18. So this is all building. Dun, 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 da, 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 da. The music's building. Da, 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 da. Now David mustered the men who were with him and appointed them over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. So David now, he's over on the Jordan. He's got control of himself. They've got a chance to think things through. Now he's preparing for the battle because he knows this huge army's coming against him. Well, David sent the troops out, a third under the command of Joab, all right, the big general who was always in David's face and doing things David told him not to do and he eventually gets it in the end. Uh, a third under Joab's brother, Abishai, son of Zariah, and then a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. So he's getting everybody all together. A third with Joab, a third with whatever his name was, Abishai, and a third with the Gittite cat. All right? And I, I will lead you and take you into battle. But the men said, no, 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 no. You must not go out. If we are forced to flee, now remember, they are going over pretty bad odds here. If we have to flee, things go badly, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. They're going to come after you. You're worth 10,000 of us. He's the target. It would be better for you now to give, uh, for you to give us support from the city. You just stay behind, you know, kind of direct everything from there. So the king answered, I'll do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all the men marched out in units of hundreds and thousands. The king command, commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, these three generals, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Okay, we're going to battle. Don't hurt him. Do not hurt him. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom. They all heard him say to these three guys, do not hurt Absalom. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, so the army marched into the field to fight Israel. And the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. Now, this is a strategic thing. They very pass over it very lightly, but... What happens now, remember, David and his army 
although not that huge, these are the most gifted warriors on the face of the earth at this time. Nobody can beat these guys. So now, they uh, uh, tactically, because they're coming after them, the defense has the advantage in, uh, in war, basically. It takes uh, a lot more offense to overcome the defense uh, because you have the time to prepare and all this kind of stuff. Well, so they get to pick the ground on where they're going to fight. Uh, goes to the defense again. So these guys pick this forest. Now this forest is, is highly dense, uh, all kinds of uh, peril in terms of landscape and stuff like that. The advantage goes to David's men. Again, they're the best fighters, best uh, stra- uh, tactical generals, and now they've got the best field. So they come into the forest of Ephraim. There the army of Israel was defeated by David's men. So David's men wipes out, or not wipes out, but defeats this huge army of Israel. And the casualties that day were great. 20,000 men died on a single day. And interestingly enough, it says the battle spread out over the whole countryside and the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. So of the 20,000, 10,000 plus actually died negotiating this incredible terrain. So, uh, you know, again, these guys were quite brilliant. Uh, You don't fight David. You don't give David time to get his act together and then fight him. Bad advice that he took from the spy. You attack them when they don't have time to prepare. Again, so in the natural, that's the way it would have been, but God was always with David. I'm sure it would have worked out either way. So anyway, now Absalom happened to meet David's men. Happened to meet David's men. Okay, things are not going well. 20,000 men have died. They, they can't, they're, they're killing themselves just trying to negotiate this hostile land, falling on their own swords, or who knows what's happening to these guys. They're dying like dogs. They're being pushed back. The, the, I'm sure the confusion of the battlefield was intense, as you can well imagine. I would love to see someone, you know, actually do a movie and show some of these battles, but they, it cost a fortune, I'm sure, to show it, but uh, very, very cool. So anyway, so Absalom now, he's, he got talked into leading the army with <laughs> David. He's back safe. You know, the people with Absalom are not serving Absalom well. Okay? But David definitely has the upper hand. He's, so Absalom's out there, and everything's going crazy, and people are dying, and things going well, and he's riding his mule around, and all of a sudden he runs into a bunch of David's men. Ah! This is bad. Okay? So, he takes off on the mule. Our mule's very fast, by the way. Man, I'd have a big old yo mama horse. Why are you on a mule? Well, again, maybe the terrain. Maybe mules are better at, at the horrible terrain. I don't know. Anybody know mules and horses? I have no idea. What's that? Okay, that's why. Okay, so that's why he's on a mule, because of the terrain. Remember, this terrain is killing guys just because the terrain is so horrible. So instead of on a fast horse, he's on a mule. So he's riding the donkey, and he's... You know, galloping away, however fast that is. Come on, you stupid mules, get out of here! And the mule went under some thick branches of a large oak. Again, the terrain is horrible. They can't see each other. The advantage goes to David's men. He's trying to run through. He's trying to get through these, this tree, and his head gets caught in the tree. And he's left hanging in midair. But the mule kept going. This is really bad, okay? So, 
So he's there and his hair. Remember, he's got the cool hair, you know, the, you know, super babe, you know, you know, the super tough guy on a babe. He's a guy. Uh, the super guy hair, you know, and flowing. And whenever he cut his hair off, that was five pounds of hair. And he's, you know, this flowing. Fabio. He's the Fabio of the Bible. Thank you very much. I'm sad that my son-in-law knew who that was. Fabio! <laughs> of course he did. Anyway, so, Fabio of the Bible, and he gets his, you know, this is a big hair. So he's going through, and his hair gets tangled, and now he's, ah! And the mule takes off, and he's dangling from his head, his hair. And one of the men saw this, and he told Joab, you know, I, I think I just saw Absalom. Hanging in an oak tree. You don't say. Really. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was him. He's just hanging. Swinging. So Job says, what? You saw him? Why didn't you kill him? Then I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. And the man said, look. Even if you would have given me a thousand shekels into my hands. I would not lift my hand against the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Atai, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. I don't care how much money you give me. I ain't doing nothing to that boy. We heard the king tell you, leave him alone. Keep him safe. If I had put my life in jeopardy and ticked off the king because I would have killed him, and nothing is hidden from the king. He'd have found out eventually anyway. You would have kept your distance from me. <laughs> and he's right too. Because that's exactly what would happen. The king would have brought this guy. You did what to my son? And Joab would be going. I don't know this man. Alright so this guy was smart. He wouldn't touch him. Well Joab said I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he goes after Absalom. He takes three javelins, javelins in his hand and plunges them. Into Absalom's heart. Ew. You're hanging your head. You can't move. This guy's pinning you like a pinata. Ow, ow, ow. Right into your heart. And then ten of Joab's. As, as, as if that wasn't bad enough. Three javelins in the heart would pretty much take care of you. Then ten of Joab's armor bearers. surround Absalom and st- struck him and killed him. Well then Joab sounded the trumpet. Something like that. And uh, the troops stopped pursuing Israel. Because Joab, Joab had halted them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a big pit in the forest and piled a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, the Israelites fled to their homes. Yeah, they just got beat. They were running. And then a little paragraph here about Absalom building a pillar to him, so I don't know what that has to do with anything. Anyway, chapter or verse 19. Now Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, said, Let me run to take the news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. Well, Joab says, well, you're not the one to take the news today. Uh, you may take the news another time, but you can't do it today because the king's son is dead. I, I don't know what that means, but he just tells me, no, no, do it another day. Well, then Joab says to a Cushite, uh, you go tell the king what you've seen. And the Cushite bowed down before Joab and then ran off. Well, Ahimaaz says to Joab again, Come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. 
Come on. Let me just run behind him. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. And Joab said, my son, why do you want to go? You don't have any news that will bring you a reward. He says, come what way? Come what may? I want to run. Now, okay, I know, I know, but I want to go. Come on, let me go, let me go, let me go. And he said, okay, run. So then Ahimez ran, by the way, of the plane and outran the Cushite. So he knew a shortcut. He wanted to be the one to tell David first. Well, while David was sitting between the inner and outer gates, uh, the watchman went up to the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked out, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out to the king and reported it. The king said, well, if he's alone, he must have good news. Otherwise, because if they had been in retreat, there'd be all kinds of them coming, running back. That's the thinking here. So the man came closer and closer. Then the watchman saw another man running and called down and said, look, another man's running alone. And the king said, well, he must be bringing good news too. And the watchman says, it seems to me that the first one runs like Ahimez, son of Zadok. Well, how do you know that? Unless he ran like a girl or something. I don't know. That must be him, man. That dude's embarrassing. Look at the way he's running. He's fast, but that's just embarrassing right there. I don't know what that is. So the king said, well, he's a good man, and he comes with good news. So him, man, called out to the king, all is well. And he bows down before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise be to the Lord, your God. He has delivered up the men who lifted up their hands against the Lord, my king. And the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimez thinks, I ain't say nothing. <laughs> because you remember, other people would tell bad news and then David would kill him. You know, I, I, what he basically said, I, I, you know, it was really confusing at the time. <laughs> I, you know, the wind was blowing and, you know, and, uh, you know, I was getting text messages on my phone and I didn't know. <laughs> Great confusion. Uh, but I, I don't know what it was. Something, something about something. So he basically chickens out, but I don't blame him. So the king said, well, stand aside and wait here. So he stepped aside and stood there. Then the Cushite arrives. My lord, the king, hear the good news. And the, the Lord has delivered you. The Lord has delivered you today from all who rose up against you. And the king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? And the Cushite replied, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. Which is a very diplomatic way of saying he's dead. Well, the king was shaken. And he went up to the room over the gateway and he wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So he's wailing and he's crying out. I wish I would have died instead of you. Well, Joab was told, hey, the king's bawling his brains out over here and mourning for Absalom and for the whole army the victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day the troops heard it said the king is grieving for his son so the men stole into the city and it's biblical way of saying that they snuck into the city uh, that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle in other words you don't uh, if, if you've been beaten in battle like the Israelites who are running back you know they, they, they quietly come into and they don't want to say anything because they're humiliated well these guys had won this great battle but instead of celebrating the victory they're they're walking in quietly and and feel bad because the king's crying um and the king covered his face and cried aloud so they probably can hear him wailing my son absalom oh absalom my son my son 
Which is really kind of odd, you know. I, I don't understand. It must be a cultural thing. Absalom was trying to kill you. Absalom had robbed everything from you. Absalom had killed one of your other sons. Absalom's got issues. Even if he does look like Fabio. But he's crying and wailing. Well, then Joab goes into the house of the king. Now, Joab, you got to add it. The guy's got some cojones, you know. It eventually, he's going to get it in the end, you know. And uh, for one thing that David points out, you know, he tells his son Solomon as he turns the kingdom, you know, by the way, first thing you got to do, you got to kill Joab. (laughs) This guy's been a pain in my butt for a long time. But anyway, so, but Joab, Joab is a big general. He's a strong man. He's confident. Now he's disobeyed the king. He intentionally kills his son. And he's been in his king's face about other stuff. Now look at the way he talks to the king. He says, today you have humiliated all your men. You who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. What is the matter with you? You love those who hate you. And you hate those who love you. You've made it clear today that the commanders and the men mean nothing to you. I see that it would have pleased. You'd been pleased if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left to you by nightfall. This will be worse than you, for you than all the calamities that you've come upon you from your youth until now. Seriously. This would get most people's heads cut off. You know what I'm saying? Now, clearly, Joab has some serious capital with King David. He's his number one general, but even still, to talk this way to the king. But Joab, you know, he's got a, he's got a lot of edge on him. He's a warrior, you know. He's not probably the warm and fuzziest guy you'd ever want to work for. Okay? But he wasn't hired for his people's skills. He was hired for his skills to kill people. But even still, whoa, dude. But everything he said was right. I mean, now what he had done was wrong. Certainly the way he's talking, he's pretty disrespectful. But he's dead on. I mean, he calls David out. You know, maybe it was one of the reasons that David didn't kill him at that time, you know. You know, sometimes it's good for leaders to be surrounded by people who aren't just always butt kissers. Are you hearing me? Now, I know people that, that they, they intentionally surround themselves with butt kissers. And they believe their own press and they, they become delusional. They think everything they say is, you know, brilliant or simply brilliant, you know. Uh, you know, I've got guys around me that challenge me. You know, I don't like it. <laughs> He's looking down right now. I'm not looking up right now. But anyway. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. Not obviously, you know. Depends on who you are. <laughs> Some people can challenge me more than others. But, uh, but this is good. This is good. You don't have to surround yourself with people who are just always kissing up to you and making you think you're something that you're not. Somebody say amen. That's like a present. So when he, he really rebukes the king. And the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. So he basically makes it right with his guys. He listens to Joab. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes. Throughout the tribes of Israel, the people were all arguing with each other, saying, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He's the one who rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. Yeah. Now they're saying nice things about David. Oh, we really love this guy. He's fabulous. Simply fabulous. Yeah, what was with the gigantic army from Israel trying to kill him? 
But now he's fled the country because of Absalom, and Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, has died in battle. This is a bad day for us. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? Why didn't you guys bring him back? You should have right away said, Hail King David, and long live the king, and ding dong, the other witch is dead, and all that other kind of stuff. Well, King David sent his message, this message to Zadok and Abathar, the priests, who were back at the ranch, his plants. He said, I asked the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace? Uh, since uh, what is being said throughout all Israel has reached the king at his quarter. So let me boil this down for you. Remember, we basically have two kingdoms that are united under David. We have Israel and Judah. Israel is made up of the majority of the tribes. Judah's just one, but they're huge. You know, this is the southern tribe. These are the guys who really uh, eventually becomes Judea. Jesus was in Judea, so the, the, the land of Judah. Uh, David brings them together. Uh, otherwise, they were warring with each other and, uh, and uh, they didn't want civil war. So what happens is Judah, David's guys basically suck up to Judah and say, why don't you guys bring back the king? And, and Because, you know, he was from that area and he had relatives in that area and blah, 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 blah. So from here on now, they, they all basically, you know, they're fighting about who's going to love the king the most and be the one to bring him back. And verse 14 It says, he won over all the hearts of the men of Judah as though they were one man. And they sent word to the king, return you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out to meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. And then we got Shimei, son of Jerah. Remember this guy? This is the guy who came out cursing David before. Remember David was leaving in retreat and humiliation and Shimei, or however you say his name, comes out and he's cursing at him and he's throwing stuff at him and rocks and humiliate him. And his man said, let me go kill this dog. He says, no, 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 man, just, you know, maybe God's telling him to do it, you know, because he, he was so broken at this point. Well, now here comes back the king. Well, if you're Shimei, you, you got a problem. You were just cursing at the king. It's easy to do when he's not the king anymore. Well, now he's the king again. So he comes, uh, the Benjamite from Buram, and he hurried to the men of Judah to meet King David. With him were a thousand Benjamites along with Ziba, the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. And they rushed to the Jordan where the king was, and they crossed at the ford to take the king's household over. They're made a big pomp and circumstance. Now they're bringing the king back. And when Shimei crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king. And said, may the Lord not hold me guilty. Uh, May my Lord, talking about the king, not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord left uh, Jerusalem. And may the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, know I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first of my whole house to come down and meet my Lord the king. So he basically throws himself in front of the king. Acknowledging that he had done this horrible thing. Then Abishai... uh, who was the brother of Joab, was one of the generals, and said, shouldn't this guy be put to death for this? He cursed you. And David replied, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Joab? Basically talking about Joab and his brother. He said, this day you have become my adversaries. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I not know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to him, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. So now he's basically unscrambling eggs. Remember Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, the guy that was crippled, 
uh, his steward or something came and said, Meshivath has also turned on you. And David gave him all of Meshivath's uh, belongings. Well, Meshivath comes and he wants to get things straightened out because he says he didn't do that. Uh, he had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until he returned safely uh, as a protest for he really wanted David to do this, uh, to come back. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, they asked him, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he said, my lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrays me. He betrayed me. And he slandered your servant, uh, talking about myself, to the lord, my king. My, uh, by the way, they hardly ever say me or I. You always notice that whenever they talk to someone of authority, they refer to them as your servant, like a third party. It was like, consider disrespectful to refer to yourself in a way that might become off as arrogant. So as a sign of humility, they would refer to themselves as uh, your servant. You know, that, that's the way Ross refers to me when he comes over. <laughs> anyway, uh, my Lord, the King is like an angel of God, so do whatever pleases you. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from you, but you gave me, gave your servant, me, say again, you don't say me, you gave your servant a place among those to eat at your table. So what, what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? And then the king said, why say more? I ordered that you and Ziba divide the field. So he basically, he should have given everything back to Mephibosheth, or whatever his name is, how do you say that? Mephibosheth. But Ziba had talked to him in it, so, so now he corrects it and he says, well, split it. Uh, but then Mephibosheth says to the king, ah, let him have it all. Okay? Uh, now that the Lord, my king, has arrived safely at home, I don't know if he was concerned about really securing favor with the king. Better to be poor than dead, as you can imagine. Uh, and then we read about Barzillai, the Gileadite, and you know, blah, 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 blah. You can read all that. Um, Let's look at verse 40. When the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed with him all the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel had taken the king over. Soon all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan with all his men? All the men of Judah answered, we did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about it? We haven't eaten any of the king's provisions. We haven't taken anything for ourselves. We haven't benefited from this. Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king. And besides, we have a greater claim on David than you have. So they basically start arguing about who loves him the most. And why did you do this? You should have waited for us. And now they're fighting. Remember, this is the north and the south. These people kind of get on each other's nerves anyway. So they're basically, uh, you know, the guys of Judah holler back and the men of Israel hollers back and it says but the men of Judah responded even more harshly than the men of Israel and they're <laughs> back and forth like like a bunch of women working in an office <laughs> sorry anyway so now there's a troublemaker that would be me I better stop because I'm over time we'll pick it up uh, about this troublemaker that takes this and starts to try another rebellion. And then we'll see about this. And then it's pretty much uh, winding down now. And uh, 
we're going to start to see now the end of King David and as he hands over the kingdom to Solomon. Uh, some interesting things here. Uh, there was a great section here, we'll talk about this next week, where they start describing some of these mighty men, these warriors that fought with David. Uh, at a lot of levels, they were greater warriors than David himself was. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that, the implications of that. But uh, really some fascinating things. So anyway, there's this final little bubble uh, that they got to deal with here now because one guy of the Israelites gets mad and because they're all yelling at each other and he starts to start his own little rebellion again but it's quickly crushed and we'll see what happens to him not a good thing anyway fascinating stuff isn't it make the bible come alive cool we're done let's have our ushers come forward and we will receive tonight's offering the band can come on back up here and uh Fascinating stuff, isn't it? You know what's really sad is none of this had to have happened. David went through a great deal of pain, a great deal of heartache that God never intended for him to go through. He brought it on himself because of sinning against God in such a horrible way. Again, not that people don't sin and make mistakes, but when you have this kind of relationship with God Almighty, and even from that perspective, sin so horribly, again, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings of your word. We love you, God. I thank you for this wonderful church, for these wonderful people, my, my family, friends that love you together. and We want to serve you together and honor you together. We pray that you will help us continue to grow in our faith. Help us be people of good character, people willing to reach out to those around us that maybe aren't as blessed as us to share the good news with others. Lord, we pray for this offering as we give into your kingdom. Lord, bless these resources to advance your kingdom, to touch more lives. Bless this offering. Bless those who give, Lord, in faith that they would prosper because of their faithfulness and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.